Welcome back into another year of Tampa to Casey Phillips here with staff writer and editor Bree Dix. Man, I'm so excited to do this again for another year. First of all, love doing the show with you. Second of all, the fact we're sitting here means there's a game on Sunday, yes. which is great. Football is back. Football's back <laughs> of the real kind, not just the preseason doesn't yes. count kind. Yes. We have so much to talk about, especially it being week one. There's been so yeah. much that we, because we have not done the show in the off season, we have a lot we can go over. And I feel like, especially the fact that we just had those roster cutdowns. Now there's only the one big cut down instead of right. the different right. layers of it. And so I thought that'd be a good place for us to start is just going into week one, assessing what this roster looks like now that there have been these cut downs and what were some of the storylines or things that stood out to you about those cuts, who we kept, who we didn't, mm -hmm. and why? I would say I wasn't necessarily shocked by any of the moves, but I think the biggest takeaway for me and one of the most exciting things when you look at this roster is just how young it is and the undrafted rookies that made this team. And I think you hear every single year at coaches stressing, you know, every rep counts, take advantage of the opportunities because every play, every rep, they're signing their name to that production on the field. And you really saw that with running back Sean Tucker and with outside linebacker Marquis Watts making the roster. And Sean Tucker kind of has that, that underdog story of he was projected to go high and then during the pre-draft physical at the scouting combine. They discovered that heart issue, so he fell. And then he ends up getting signed by the Bucks following the draft. And not only does he make the final 53, but now he's listed as the number two running back on the depth chart behind Rashad White. And I think you just really saw that lateral elusiveness, the contact balance, the vision, really, really impressed during the preseason. And then with Marquise Watts, you know, this is a loaded outside linebacker corpse, a guy that went undrafted, went unsigned. Not only did he make the initial 90-man roster, but then he made the 53. And I think for me, the most notable thing in seeing him in the preseason was that strip sack against Pittsburgh that was so impressive. And even though they recovered it, he, against Broderick Jones, their first-round pick, basically just goes underneath his pads and pushes him back into the quarterback for a sack, knocks the ball out. Really, really impressive play to see from him. So I'm excited to see the young guys kind of take that step forward this year. Yeah, I agree. Those were some of my big takeaways from the roster decisions was six undrafted rookies yes. being kept. That is an incredible <laughs> amount. I mean, yeah. that's amazing. And yes, also the idea of how much younger this team is. Yeah. All those draft picks, all those undrafted guys. And we knew that, right? I mean, after the Super Bowl, like, and even losing Brady, even, you know, he obviously brought the average age up a wee bit. Yeah, um, like but even losing him, you know, you kept so many of these guys that, that it was one of the older teams in the league. And that's always such an interesting balance to me of where you try to add the veteran wisdom, yeah. you know, knowing how to be a pro, having that influence in the locker room, and then also wanting the young guys. And A, of course, when you look at it from a salary cap idea, younger guys, usually cheaper, right? Yeah. If they're on that first contract they're the cheaper ones so as you try to do this and we saw that the bucks had gotten into a pretty tough spot salary cap wise they had to address it somehow one of the easiest ways to do that is by getting younger mm -hmm. by getting guys on that first contract um and then outside linebacker was the other position that really stood out to me first of all they kept six yes that's a lot mm -hmm. it's a lot of outside linebackers <laughs> typically bowls has kept four maybe five mm -hmm. and of course you always have to weigh well if you keep one more here where do you not keep over yeah. here? And what does that mean? And usually special teams is one of the big areas. But I feel like for this group, it was not just the special teams needs. It was that they proved they needed to be on this roster. Yes. That all preseason, he kept saying, that is going to be the hardest position to make decisions on. 
You brought up Marquise Watts. I think that's a great example. Mm -hmm. We also have Cam Gill, who is such an interesting story to me of, again, an undrafted guy. So there's another undrafted guy that's made it in that room. And his first career sack comes in the Super Bowl. Like, this guy is so interesting to me. And, of course, last year was hurt the whole time. You also had Shaq Barrett that was hurt. I can't wait to see that group in terms of a fully loaded Mm -hmm. group that Bowles was having a hard time making cuts on, guys coming back from injury. I think that's going to be really interesting to see why they forced his hand into keeping six. And they were able to re-sign Anthony Nelson, which I think going into Mm -hmm. the the offseason was something we didn't know if we were going to be able to to do with the salary cap restriction. Yeah, that's the guy that was called kind of steady Eddie. He's just, you know know what you're getting, you know who he is, and he just – shows up when he needs to. I'm just so glad that group seems like it'll have more depth this year because if you remember the end of last year, Joe and Anthony played every single snap for multiple games, which at that position is wild. Yes. So I'm sure they are thrilled also of like, hey, little breather. More guys. That'd be great. (laughs) Um, So to put in perspective, we both talked about how much younger the roster is. I was Mm -hmm. looking at this. We now only have six players over the age of 30 on this active roster. And wow. 23 players are under 25. So not even 25, 24 and less. It's 23 of the guys on the team. So much. Wow. We, there was a big old pendulum swing there, yes. which just makes me feel real old. So it's fine. <laughs> we're fine. Um, okay, so I know that going into this game, one of the big things we're all really excited to see is Dave Canales yes. in the new role as the play caller. He got to call it in the preseason a bit, but we all know they don't mm-hmm. really open the playbook fully. It's kind of the teeny tiny little glimpse into it so this is the first time that we will get to see him play call with a full playbook at his disposal and for him the first time he will be doing that since doing it for a jv team i love it i can't wait to see what this looks like i know how excited he is for it so for you what do we know at this point about what you expect Mm -hmm. a dave canales offense to look like and just what are you going to be trying to learn Mm -hmm. when you watch it on sunday well since dave canales arrived i think he's really stressed that this new reimagined offense is really going to try and marry the run in the pass. Um, and it's kind of moving along with the evolution of the league, kind of the, the horizontal stretch, but you're going to have a lot more motion is something that everybody keeps talking about, whether that's the mid zone, the outside zone, the jet motions, the, the play fakes, the bootlegs, all of these things are going to kind of coincide to open up play action. And I think what's also really exciting is that this is, the exact system that Baker Mayfield thrived in, whether it was at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley or whether it was with Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland. Um, And just kind of how he was able to do the boot action. And this is something that really Kevin Stefanski, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay have kind of coined where it's that outside zone turns naked bootleg where it opens up the play action, but then also the, the boot action. But the emphasis for this offense is going to be getting that run game going to dictate the flow of games and to be able to sell that because then once teams have to respect your run game, then that creates opportunities for Mike Evans. That creates opportunities for Chris Godwin, Kate Otten, you know, all of these pieces when they, they move more bodies to, to load up the box, to attack the run. So I know that I'm extremely excited to see to see the way that this season goes. And also I think this works in with the the skill set of Rashad White, who played in a similar system. Really, duo was the only thing he didn't do at Arizona State. You know, he did the power, he did the mid, he did the outside zone, but then also the offensive line, the athleticism of this unit. And I think it's really gonna play into their strengths with 
kind of the wide zone, the blocking in space, the pulls, the traps, and, and all of those things. Yeah, I think that's going to be setting everybody up for success. Mm-hmm. It just feels like that's what I keep hearing everybody talk about is how they feel empowered in this Dave Canales yes. offense. The, the offensive line, like your point, they feel like they can get out there and impose their will mm-hmm. a little bit in those motions that Baker's going to be able to, yeah. <laughs> then, I mean, look, and as, as wonderful as Brady was, he was not a guy that was moving around a whole lot. Yes. And there's a lot more flexibility there. Um, I think that I love getting to see some two tight end stuff, and especially yes. with this room, it's going to be so good, and I'm excited for Kate Otten. I mean, he already was so amazing last year. Now you expect maybe that year one to year two jump. So many right. guys experience maybe, um, you know, getting to put Baker in motion a little bit more and, and use that a bit. Like it's just, I know, I think it's going to be really fun. I think it's going to be really fun to watch. Um, so, yeah, those were you, you hit on everything that I'm excited to watch as well. Of Like this is I just think it's going to be fun. Yeah. And I think these guys are going to be having fun. And I remember hearing Mike Evans say in some press conference a while back, like, man, this is the most open I've been in a minute. Yeah. And I'm like. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me, 1,000 yards a year person, mm-hmm. more open. Right. Love that. If you're getting 1,000 yards a year, like not feeling as open as you feel now, what a great time. Right. I just, I think that's going to be super fun to see what that ends up looking like. All right, so now let's get into uh, some injury updates a little bit. Now we always love to do the disclaimer that we are yes. shooting this on Friday before the Friday injury just, report comes yeah. out, which is the most helpful one because mm-hmm. it has the designations on it. Um <laughs> So we had to do a little prediction here. So we've seen the Wednesday one. We've seen the Thursday yes. one. We do not have the Friday one yet. So obviously stay tuned for that mm-hmm. one to come out with more information on it. But uh, based on the Wednesday and Thursday, what are the things that stand out to you? The most noteworthy yesterday was Cody Malk being added with the back issue. He didn't practice yesterday. Um, that's kind of definitely going to be something to monitor. Is he able to practice today? Yeah, you never like seeing guys get added to the practice yes. report mid-season, mid, mid-week. I mean. No, not a, not no, you thing. do not. And then, but I think on a positive note, defensive lineman Clyde Jacancy was upgraded to a limited participant on Thursday after not practicing on Wednesday. And then Antoine Winfield with the calf injury, he's been a full participant all week. And you know so. he's fired up to go. That whole oh yeah hometown guy, Vikings were his team. Dad <laughs> yes, played for that chant. team. Yeah, because he's, he, he's yet to get to play them in Minnesota. That we played them here, and he had a heck of a game. So already, I feel like that's good. Then you Licking put him in front of the Vikings yeah. fans. Yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's pretty excited. Okay, so now we're gonna dive into some of the segments we tend to do every week here on Tampa Two. If you are new, these are the things that we do uh, every week. The first one is going to be a position group that we are excited to watch. And I figured we'd do each side of the ball that last year we just kind of did one, but now we're going to expand. Expand. We're going to do pick one on each side of the ball that you are really excited to watch this game. Uh, You took mine a little bit earlier for, I was going to go outside linebacker on defense, but I'll still do that. I think there's just a lot of excitement building for that. And especially last year, they talked a lot about wanting to see more pass rush production from the outside linebackers, Vita Vea, no offense, but when your nose tackle leads your team in sacks, a guy that's traditionally more of just the guy that eats up the blocks, the two-gapper, you you need more production from the guys. But I think there's – I mean, you had Anthony Nelson re-signed. You have Shaq Barrett coming back from the Achilles tendon injury, and I think he's kind of working his way back to that peak form. But I think there's also a lot of excitement with George Edwards coming in, a guy that played a very critical role in the development of Micah Parsons. Mm-hmm. And Joe Tryon kind of making that leap this year in his third year, finishing at at the top of his rushes, you know, not getting off his feet too early. 
Um, and then also just you had they drafted Yaya Diaby in the third round, him kind of being able to rotate into some of those those packages that Todd Bowles likes to dial up. Um, and then Marquise Watts, a guy that's kind of consistently caused havoc in the backfield. So just to see what that kind of comes together, what some of those disguises, how Todd Bowles pieces all those guys together, because like they've talked about, this is a complex defense and they bring guys from everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that and then – on the offensive side of the ball, I am going to go with running back. Mm-hmm. I think there's just a lot of excitement. Baker Mayfield yeah. could have been the, the easy option group, to go. Yes. Yeah, you know, not quite but, a position group when it's just him. But yes. yes. But I think after last season, this group was the worst ranked rush output in the NFL. So I think there's a lot of excitement in Dave's new offense, more emphasis on the running game to see how Rashad White does in a larger role this year. And I think this is really just tailored to fit his system, kind of a lot of the the mid-zone stuff, the options, which is what they did with LA um, and Todd Gurley and the success that he had in that. Um, And it's something he's done. And even when I was talking to him earlier during the offseason, he was saying, you know, he's really focused on not only pass protection to be more well, well-rounded, but also his explosiveness in, in his burst. And I think one of the really intriguing things about his skill set is that a lot of rushers, you know, as soon as they the hole opens, they immediately have to jump out of the gate, they have to hit it. But with Rashad, he has the, the patience and he has the acceleration and the burst to be able to wait a little bit, to let the blocks develop, and then to hit it with that burst and to hit the second level gear. So I think I'm excited to see what this is all able to do. Sean Tucker, the rise that he's potentially going to be able to have and and how this is going to go and how it's able to dictate the flow of games for for the Bucks and wear out defenses. Yeah, I think for my picks, I, I did one that's more of in general why I'm excited to see them this season and one that's a little bit more Vikings specific. Ooh, so my offense group is the offensive line. I. Oh, yeah. I'm just so interested to finally see what this group looks like, especially because during all of the preseason of like all of training camp and all that, they're, you know, most of the time they're not really hitting. And that's a, a group that's a lot harder to yes. see what they're going to look like. You know, wide receiver, DB, one-on-ones, all this stuff, you can see a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I just feel like we don't have a huge idea of what they're going to look like, especially when you look at it and Hainsey is the only starting offensive <laughs> lineman from last year's opener to be in the same spot on yes. the line. Anytime you do that, that's fascinating because that right. is the group above all else in an NFL team mm-hmm. that continuity tends to be important. And anytime you shuffle people around, get new people in there, just to see how that chemistry is working, how the guys are doing individually, how they're working right. together, um, I think that's going to be really interesting. And then on defense, I chose cornerback, not because, of, again, very different. Like We kind of know what our cornerback group yeah. looks like for the most part. We know Carlton, we know Jamel. But against the Vikings and Justin Jefferson, what a test to start the year. Yes. They got a lot of weapons. Um, you know, they were the six most passing yards in the league last year. Mm-hmm. Now you've got, you know, your rookie first round pick, Jordan Addison, Addison plus you got Jefferson. And then to see, we, again, we know Carlton, we know Jamel, but I'm really excited to see Christian Izian yes. in the slot. That now Antoine Winfield gets to focus on safety, which mm-hmm. I think is great for him, great for the defense. For Again, we've talked about this, undrafted rookies that just yes. forced yes. the team <laughs> to put them in there somewhere. And Christian Izian just said, you got to play me. Yeah, I did, I, I've done all the things. You got to put me somewhere. And uh, yeah, so he won the job at slot. And I think that's going to be very fun to see. All right, so now one-on-one matchup you were excited Ooh. to see on each side of the ball. I think many people could have probably have predicted this one, but first I'm going to go with Jamel Dean versus Justin Jefferson. And 
the Bucks could opt to shadow Carlton on Justin Jefferson, but I think kind of with their prototypical sides, I think you might see Dean on Jefferson a little bit more. But man, I mean, he's a guy, he's had three years in the NFL, and he's already considered one of the best in the league. Mike Evans even said yesterday, I mean, this is a guy that early in his career, he's already deemed one of the top, if not the top receiver in the NFL, which I feel like is almost just unprecedented for a guy that early on to already be shattering records. But his, he's so slippery. His route running, I mean, he has a lethal release package, assassin over the middle of the field, has the short area burst. He can beat you over the top, but then he also has the agility in the, in the intermediate area of the field to wreck you as well and kind of make defenders miss. So I think for Jamel Dean, the biggest thing, and he has what a lot of cornerbacks don't, and that's 4-3 makeup speed. I mean, even if he does kind of get in that trail position, he has the athleticism to catch up and to make a play on the ball. Um, but I think the biggest thing for him is to going to be physical at the line to kind of disrupt – Jefferson's tempo and to kind of get him off off kilter a little bit and to I think that's going to be critical in this game just because I mean when you get an off coverage against Jefferson he's going to eat you alive and run routes all day long so I think that's that's going to be critical and then kind of my other side I'm going to go with Tristan Wirfs against outside linebacker Danielle Hunter um, and Tristan, I think there's a lot of excitement just because of his him switching positions. He's held it down on the right side, has become one of the best tackles in the league, just absolutely a technician with his footwork, his hand placement, um, has that lateral agility that we've talked about for some of the in-space blocking things. But, I mean, Hunter is a guy that you have to know where he is on every single snap, constantly disrupts, harasses quarterbacks, um, and just hit, he's able to get offensive linemen to lock them out of their center of gravity, um, to get them out of their normal leverage. So I think for, for Tristan Wirfs, this is going to be a really, really big game. And he's been really transparent about some of the, the mental issues that have come with switching mm-hmm. from right to left. Because I think a lot of people just think, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. he's switching sides, whatever. Same position. But, I mean, you have to think that he's doing everything – the opposite oh, yeah. with with the non-dominant you, hand and what he's used to. If you, you tell know? me to write something with yes, my left hand right it's now, it's not going to go Not going to be legible. So yeah, it's still writing, but it's right. going to be very different. Um, yeah, I think those are great picks. I think for me on offense, I went with Chris Godwin, and I didn't pick one specific corner. I just kind of said against the Vikings corners in general. I think I cheated, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> so Patrick Peterson That's leaves good. in free agency. Yes. Byron Murphy Jr. is the only corner they have to have intercepted a pass in the NFL. The other top corners are both 24 years old. They have two combined NFL starts. I, If I'm Chris Godwin, I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Vikings defense, 31st in the league last year in yardage allowed. So now they have Brian Flores as their defensive coordinator. He's known for a little bit more of the man-to-man and blitzing. Mm-hmm. And again, you tell me, I get Chris Godwin man-to-man. And I think I would say this about Mike Evans as well. Right. But, you know, maybe they put Byron Murphy, you know, on him a little bit more, the more experienced guy. But I'm just right. imagining, therefore, that frees up Godwin to have these less experienced guys mm-hmm. on him. And if they're blitzing a lot, maybe we're needing the quicker Godwin in the slot right. kind of a thing. I just feel like this – and and just to see Godwin, again, fully back from the injury. Yes. That even though he was back last year and did great – 
he said all along he wasn't quite himself yet. Mm-hmm. And now he's had that whole other off season and into it. So I just, I'm really excited to see what that's going to look like. And then mm-hmm. on the defensive side of things, yeah, it was the same as what you said of, you know, Carlton, Jamel, however they decide to do it against Justin Jefferson. I will watch that all day long. Yes. Um, and then if, because you said it, I picked another one just in case. Uh, I did Vita versus their interior offensive line, especially their center, Garrett Bradbury. So all five Uh linemen for the Vikings are the same as opening day last year. They are the opposite of us, essentially. (laughs) Um, And But this is interesting. No team had more runs for zero or negative yards percentage-wise than the Vikings last year. They did not... Didn't didn't do so hot. That wasn't great. And so I'm imagining, again, Vita in there against this group that you know, as of last year, a lot of zero and negative yard run plays. I'm just imagining Vita getting a chance to to blow some things up, yeah, yeah. which always is really fun. Okay, so uh, keys to the game. What would you say those are for you? I think for me, just the biggest thing, like we've kind of talked about, is not letting Justin Jefferson take over this game. And that's obviously easier said than done, but I think when you have – teams they have so many offensive weapons but when you have defenses that try and limit Jefferson by using that too high shell to prevent the big play over the top well then that creates opportunities for their tight end TJ Hawkinson to exploit the underneath coverage work the middle of the field which he did so well last year after he was traded to the team um so I think that's the biggest thing for me is kind of how are they able to handle all of the weapons the different personnel groupings they brought in Another tight end, Josh Oliver, who's kind of that predominant blocking tight end. So he's going to kind of help create some mismatches for Hawkinson. And then you obviously have Jordan Addison, the mm-hmm. rookie, um, who also has that vertical speed that can beat you over the top. So how how are they able to handle all of these things together is going to be crucial in this game. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's, our, it's the run game for us getting it started. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be so important this year. And it was such an area that they fell short in last year of their expectations and what they right. wanted to be doing. Um, can you get the run game going? And then I think just getting off the field on defense, especially not allowing some big chunk plays mm-hmm. that – Kirk Cousins to Justin Jefferson can kill you. That yes. it can turn a game on a dime. You know, throwing some sixty-yard bomb to him—it's mm-hmm. where he can just catch things that he shouldn't be able to catch. Right. You can think you have him perfectly covered, and I think just the ability to get off the field on third down mm-hmm. to shorten some of those drives to not give up those chunk plays again when you're on the road and in a stadium like Minnesota's—it just you don't want to give them those momentum plays. So um, I think those were kind of some of my keys to the game. Um, Okay, so how about quote of the week? This is another uh, segment that we do every time um, as we talk about this. So we we each pick a quote that we've heard through one of the press conferences throughout the week that the Buccaneers have given. So what is your quote, Maria? I am going to go with a quote from Mike Evans yesterday. There's been a lot of criticism surrounding the Bucks in a post-Tom Brady world, but I think I loved his quote. He said, there are a lot of doubters, so we're looking forward to shocking a lot of people this year, especially this first week. And I think that's just kind of the excitement and the embodiment of really the theme for this team throughout the entire offseason, just shutting out the outside noise, excited with what this team can be, new offense, a lot of new pieces, a lot that infusion of speed. And I think you're starting to see just the the energy pick up on offense with Baker Mayfield's moxie, his leadership, but then also just on defense, a lot of those cornerstone players kind of rallying the team together. So I'm, I'm excited and, and I kind of agree. I think this team is going to shock 
a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, I would almost always rather be the underdog. Yeah. It's so much more fun. You have that bigger chip on your shoulder. Yes. You're trying to prove everybody wrong and you don't necessarily have that same target on your back either of like teams saying like, oh, we have to take It's out. Tom Brady mm-hmm. and they all want to have their best game ever against this guy, you know, that yeah. sometimes maybe this means other teams are taking you a little lightly. Mm-hmm. And then you get a chance to come in just feeling that whole nothing to lose feeling and like wanting to prove everybody right. wrong, wanting to shock the world. You're right. The chip on the shoulder. Athletes need that. I mean, yes. I remember anyone that watched The Last Dance remembers the story of Michael Jordan saying that he literally made something up about somebody to be mad at him. It wasn't even true. <laughs> it was not even true. And he just made up some story about this guy because he wanted to, to be, be mad to at him. That competitive he right. needed that chip on his shoulder. And I remember hearing that and being like, that's so, that that's the wildest thing. And like, but it's so true. People need that. And if they don't feel like they have it, they're going to try to invent it, but that's never going to feel the same. I would always rather be the team that is chasing in that sense of mm-hmm. feeling like you've got that momentum. And these guys, look, they don't sit here and read or watch a ton of the sports coverage, but they're always going to know what is being said, exactly. right? And they know they're not being picked very highly. They know that a lot of these polls, a lot of these rankings have them lower, and that is going to make them mad. And I love it. Mm-hmm. I think it's the perfect attitude. Fuels of the fire yep. I'm here for. Okay, so my quote I chose was Baker Mayfield talking about Canalis. He said his mindset, he's so, or I guess he was basically asked, what does he like most about him and so far and kind of just his, what he's brought to the mm-hmm. team. So it was less about the X's and O's and more about the, kind of the guy and, and what he's brought in that way. He says his mindset, he's so positive. It's just the next step mentality. The next play, make it the best one. Even if it's just a simple handoff where we're not doing anything besides carrying out a fake, make it your best one. That mindset to give it absolutely 100% each time, it's refreshing. Even though it might be an off play for us, we still carry our weight and we're still a factor in it. So do your business. He's so fresh and that mindset is awesome. I love that. And I think that's a great quality in a coach and a coordinator. Mm -hmm. And everyone's talked about the energy he brings. And I love that. Even if all you're doing is a handoff and and faking, do it your best that every single play, there is no play off that you are still doing your best. And I love that for Baker, for him to say that it was refreshing, I thought that was really interesting because, okay, so Baker's had so many coaches. Coaches. So yes. many coaches. Uh, yes. And for him to say anything is refreshing from a coach. <laughs> great. Yeah. That I think Bowles is his eighth head coach already. And I think Canales is his sixth, sixth offensive, offensive coordinator. <laughs> what a wild set of numbers. Yeah. Just what a wild ride for Baker Mayfield. And so I loved that for a guy who's had a rough road of it, he's mm. gone through a lot of things, a lot of coaches, a lot of situations. For him to feel that this coach he now has is refreshing and to bring out that kind of mindset, mm-hmm. I think that's a huge deal. And especially, again, when you're an underdog, that to say every single play, play matters. matters. And I just I thought that was very exciting. It got me super excited. So, all right, we now are going to close with this segment. This is a new one that we're doing this year. We talk a lot of X's and O's on the show. We talk a lot about the upcoming game, the previous game, all of that stuff. But we thought it'd be fun to bring a little bit of the human interest side to it, a little bit of the off the field things to it. So every week we're going to have one thing we talk about that is a little bit more of the off the field. Mm-hmm. So it's funny because I knew we were going to end up talking about Sean Tucker a whole lot. And I thought I learned this little nugget about him and it just, it made me laugh very hard. <laughs> 
So he got famous at Syracuse for his post-game tweets. Have you heard about this? I have not heard about this. It's just, it's one of my favorite things I've read in a really long time. (laughs) Um, Okay. So basically people would wait for his tweets after a game. It's like, and he's continuing it here. So now Bucks fans, you can also do this. Follow Sean Tucker on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to continue calling it Twitter because I feel like yeah. nobody knows what yet you, what you're talking about. How so, do you – And what do you – What, what is it? What, yeah, what an X. I know. Yeah. I haven't figured that out either. So that's why I'm just calling them his tweets. Um, I am going to read you three examples yes, please do. of his tweets. And it's so funny because it sounds like something AI has written. <laughs> that's my impression of it is it sounds like if you were like, AI, write a tweet for a football for player or something. <laughs> So he's this, – this is so great. This is the first one. Saturday, we played Albany and won. Syracuse, 62. Albany, 24. I am pleased with my performance, but not so happy with my penalty. I'll work on that. I ran for 13 attempts, 132 yards, four touchdowns, and three receptions for 121 yards and one touchdown. End of tweet. <laughs> oh it's so gosh. good. So here's his next one. Finally, an ACC win. Syracuse, 41. Virginia Tech, 36. I'm pleased with my performance and happy with the outcome. I ran 20 attempts for 112 yards with two receptions for 14 yards. Thanks to my O-line for helping me reach 1,000 yards and more to come. I'm just getting started. So those were obviously things went well, right? I know. I have to. How else do you read these tweets? I don't know how else you do it. Okay. This is the other one. You've noticed both of those. We were pleased. Things were good. I had to give (laughs) you an example of when things aren't good. Okay. Saturday, we lost. Syracuse 9, Pitt 19. I'm not pleased with the outcome of the game. Another bad day. I'm not pleased with my performance. Offense struggled and never got started. I'm back in the grind this week. I rushed for 19 yards, reception for three yards. So now you've heard a common denominator in all three of these. Either he's pleased Pleased or not pleased pleased (laughs) with both his performance and then the outcome. There was another Twitter account someone created at Syracuse that was called the Sean Tucker Pleased Tracker. Where they oh would end up gosh. saying they would like a tally. Yes, they were tallying when he was pleased and when he was not pleased. Yes, and they made these little like emoji-looking faces that was like there was the not pleased, there was the it was okay, and then there was the pleased. This is and they would reply to his tweet, and it would say Sean, T- no Tucker, pleased tracker. Sean Tucker is pleased, please. or Sean Tucker is, is not pleased. Every and I was like I. Love this. I hope this continues. If I think whoever they need ran to make that, some t-shirts. Just yes, Sean t-shirt. Tucker is pleased. Yeah. I, you know what? Like the check of the box. We're saying this right now. We are going to make these, and we're going to hand these out to the running back yes. room. I love this. We've already yeah. There needs to be t-shirts. We've made so sure. that is our sure. little off the field fun <laughs> nugget for you guys this week. Play, you know, pay, pay attention to Sean Tucker's tweets. <laughs> yeah. They're incredible. We will be. I think I heard he started doing it. Because he wanted to keep his family updated on his performance from afar. I don't think that he well, it ever. It makes sense why he's putting the stat the line. Stat line on, all, it was like his tweet. way of like, here's what happened, everybody. Yeah. But I, and I doubt he knew it would go so viral. viral. But it's like this became just such a famous thing at Syracuse. And so I want it to I continue here. Mm-hmm. If the person doing the pleased tracker is a Syracuse person, I hope you're continuing it here. If not, we're going to have to someone step up, create. The tracker. Yes. The please tracker. Yes. All right. That's going to do it for us on our week one edition of Tampa 2. Thank you so much for watching or listening. And we hope you are back here next week when we are hopefully talking about a win over the Minnesota Vikings.